0: We're going to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 39. I wanted to put that verse up there because I think that verse really goes well with what we're going to say today. His oath, His covenant of blood, support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way. I love that line. When I was sitting over there a minute ago, I saw that line. That line just spoke to me. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Today we're going to talk about an activity that illustrates or, or is a response to someone who believes that, who's someone who realizes that, that Christ is the solid rock and on which we stand. And this activity is not just prayer. We're preaching about prayer. We're talking about asking God. But this activity is a, a certain type of prayer. And we're going to get into it right now. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. I want us to slow down and read that a little slower. Jesus went out as usual. Circle, as usual. This was a pattern. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said of him, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond him and knelt down and prayed. We know that getting away to pray was the, a pattern in Jesus' life. It was usual. It was so much so that the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us to teach like you teach. Teach us to work miracles. They didn't say teach us to... Uh, converse with people or relate to people as well as you do, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw that as the power for everything else he did. And so if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to, have, had to get away to pray, how much more do you and I need to think about making getting away to pray stopping to pray a part of your life. Nothing is so intriguing to me as the fact that Jesus often stopped everything he was doing to pray. Everything he was doing to pray. I call this set prayer. That's what I'm going to call it today in this message. I'm going to call it set prayer as opposed to praying on the go. And I'm all for praying on the go. I'm I have a rich on-the-go prayer life. Praying in the car, praying as I sit around, praying as I walk, praying as I work. I think most, most of us do that. Most of us pray as we go, petitioning God. Sometimes we might even praise God for something, but probably mostly petitioning God, asking God to give us a parking space, asking God to clear out the traffic, Asking God to help us be on time somewhere when we're running late. Asking God to make someone else be on time when we're waiting on them. A lot of this is uh, the language of our frustrations. And I'm not knocking it. I, I cherish that ability to feel like I have a friend that I can just, just whatever is preoccupying my conscious mind, whatever I'm dealing with at that moment, I can have a conversation with the Holy Spirit who's beside me all the time. That is an amazing and wonderful thing. But I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about set prayer. I'm talking about stopping to pray. As I sit as here and I look down, and I could uh, almost every Sunday look at mom and dad. It's an illustration of something that I'm preaching, something I commend. And one thing, I, I, no, no people uh, that I know, especially at their stage of life, is as busy as they are. And always been very busy people, but they always—I've always watched them, and this is something that really has blessed me, Mom and Dad, through the years. Is I always watch you stop and pray, as busy as you are, and as much as you love productivity, and as much as you love activity, and as much as you're—you're not people to sit around. I remember one time uh, years ago. Dad, you probably did not remember this. I was living on Debbie Lane. I said, I said, you want to come and watch the game with me? And he looked at me like I was crazy, like I was from Mars. <laughs> I never asked him again, come watch a game with me. <laughs> so these are not people that just stop for, for no reason, but they stop to pray. They stop to pray for you. They stop to pray for me. They stop to pray for their family. They stop to pray for the work of God. Set praying is an appointed time and place to engage with an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God. Set praying is an appointed time and place to engage with an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God. Set prayers when we do one thing, and that one thing is to have communication and conversation with our creator. And I hope I can I hope I can show you why this is important and why this matters. I know what you're saying. You're saying you're busy. I understand. I'm busy. Everybody I know is busy. Well, most people I know. I know a couple people that have nothing to do. <laughs> you say, Pastor, I don't, I, can't, I don't have time to go pray every day. I don't, have, I don't have time to have a daily quiet time. Imagine the demands on Jesus' life. Imagine the demands on his life. The demands on our life are often related to our abilities. The demands on our life are related to what we can actually accomplish when we're on the job. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus healed lame people and made them walk. Jesus caused blinded eyes to open. Jesus walked on water. Jesus fed 5,000 with two biscuits and five sardines. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus taught lessons and teachings that are taught by almost every religion in the world and, and even the irreligious. He taught the most profound things. We know that we know that crowds of 15 and 20,000 people came to hear Jesus teach. We know people travel from Greece to Israel looking for Jesus so they could have an audience with him. You know that people hung on Jesus every word. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people wanted Jesus just to touch them. So why are you so significant that you can't stop and pray? Why am I so significant? Talk about demands. When you can do all of that. Your, your phone, you think your phone goes off a lot now? You think you get a lot of emails now? You think you get a lot of text messages now? What if you could, what if you could fulfill that job description that I just read off? There's a fear that if I stop, important things won't get done. Imagine Jesus. And imagine how guilty he could have felt. Imagine how guilty. While he's spending an hour in prayer, people are hurting and sick that he could heal them. While he's spending an hour in prayer, people are, are, are going in, in, in an ignorant direction when he could give them wisdom. When people are broken and lonely, he could be giving them hope. But yet he's over there talking to himself. I want to refer back to Bill Hybels today because Bill Hybels, a couple of his books and and teaching has really helped me in the area of prayer. I want to get back to that in a moment. But in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, Bill Hybels says, Busyness is akin to something the Bible calls worldliness. Getting caught up with society's agendas, objectives, and activities to the neglect of walking with God in any way you slice it. A key ingredient in authentic Christianity is time. See, on the go prayer is a natural thing. That that's why, why part of the reason I'm not I'm not knocking it at all. But that's part of the reason that eighty five percent of Americans pray. Because on-the-go prayer is just natural. Don't you find it just natural? Even I'm sure that many of you here today who have crossed the line of faith and you are followers of Jesus Christ now, you probably remember when you were far from being a follower of Jesus Christ. You probably remember when looking back, you'd say, I was a long way from God. I was far from religion. I didn't want to go to church. But even then, you probably prayed. You probably called out to... You know, if anybody's up there, kind of a stuff. You know, if anybody's up there, just in case somebody's up there, I need help today. I don't want to lose my job today. I don't I don't want to get found out about something I've done. I just, oh God, just in case, just in case you're there, please don't let anybody found out find out what I did today. <laughs> but set prayer is unnatural. Going into a room and saying, I'm going to be in there for the next 15, 30, 45 minutes, hour. That's unnatural. I'm going to go away for a day because stuff's going on in my life and I need, I got to hear from God and family, I won't, you guys won't see me for the the next 24 hours because I'm going to go, I'm going to go away. See, it's natural to go away. We do it all the time. Some of you go away for no reason. You say, well, I, I just got to get away. So you go get a motel somewhere and you you swim in the pool or you watch TV or eat or whatever you do. You, re, you relax because you got to get away. But you would feel weird going, I'm going to go get a motel room so I can pray. Would that, would that feel weird to some of you? Your family would think you just really lost your mind. You're really getting weird now. You're taking this religion thing a little too far. Is you going to go away to talk to the sky? What is this? See, unless you're a pastor, priest, or monk, letting people know you're stopping to pray is embarrassing. Especially if it's not in church. At church, maybe. If I stop everything I'm doing and go do nothing but pray for 15 minutes or an hour a day... Then, you know what it says? You know what it says? It says, I'm all in on this God thing. When you say, I'm going to stop being productive for 15 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, you are telling your family and your friends, I'm all in on this God thing. I think it's real. I believe it's just, you can do the... That's why the pray on the go thing is, is a good thing and, and, and it comes from a deep faith. It can come from a very deep faith. But it can also come from a faith, place of very weak faith. It can come from a place eh, just in case there's somebody up there. But when you go alone or away or with a group, it can be with a group, when you have a set time of prayer, that means most likely 90-something percentage probably points, you believe there is God who will make a difference. And you believe what John Maxwell used to say, when I work, I work, but when God works, when I pray, I messed it up. When I work, I work, but when I pray, God works. That's what you're saying. You believe when you're willing to stop and pray, when you're willing to stop on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night and go to dwell, when you're willing to stop and go pray and have a set time of prayer. You see, I don't believe we have a busyness problem. We have a belief problem. I said, I don't believe we have a busyness problem. We have a belief problem. Because if you and I believe that when I work, I work, but when I pray, God works, we would believe that prayer is a very productive thing to do. We would believe that an hour spent in prayer is extremely productive. We wouldn't see it as a part from productivity. We would see it as an integral part of, of productivity. That's why Bill wrote, titled his book, Too Busy Not to Pray. Because prayer is an integral part of success. Prayer is an integral part of getting things done. I like to find obscure, hard-to-understand quotes. And uh, I ran across this one. By the way, I, I just really appreciate, I've heard from many of you who are joining me in the Inquire uh, initiative. And you're doing all our parts of it. Uh, uh, some of you are doing all parts of it. I, I know somebody, to, uh, one of our staff members, in fact, texted a group text this week saying how much he's loving a long obedience in the same direction, reading that book. And boy, that is a fantastic book. It will help you in your walk. It's not, it's not C-Spot Run, though. I mean, if you're looking for C-Spot Run, then I got some other authors I will recommend to you. But, but this, this will help you grow. If you just keep re-read, the, you know, reread it a couple of times, if you don't understand something, you know, they got this place called dictionary.com that you can look up any word that you don't understand. So use dictionary.com or call a friend and ask, what does that mean? But uh, Nicholas Berdyoyov, and I don't have any idea how to pronounce his name, but that's how it reads. A Russian political and religious philosopher born in 1874, I, I went and did a little research on him after I read it in the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Interesting man. I wish I had time to talk about him. Very interesting guy who lived through the Bolshevik Revolution. And he, was, he started out being a Marxist and a communist. But as he studied the Marxism, he converted to Christianity. And he said this, and this is back in, in, he was born in 1874, so this is like 1910. He makes this statement. See, so you, you see, things don't ever, you know, let me make an aside. Things don't ever change. Things don't change. It, we always want to act like, what's going on today? And people are so busy today. It's just new. No, it's not new. The, 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 that's why the Bible is always relevant. Because society never changes, really. People never change. Yeah, some things get worse and some things get better. But basically, we, we just are the same and and we're going to be the same until the end. let, Let me read it. There is something, here's what he says about, this is about busyness and productivity. There is something morally repulsive about modern activistic theories which deny contemplation and recognize nothing but struggle. For them, these people who just want to be in the struggle all the time, for them not a single moment has value in itself. I like that. Not a single moment has value in itself. When I go to pray, I'm saying, oh, God, this moment has value. With just you and me in my chair having communion, this moment has value. This moment isn't just about me getting ready to go clean something or visit somebody or build a sermon or, or plan a new program. This moment has value in itself. It's like spending time with your lover. You're not preparing for something else. You are in that moment. You better be in that moment. (laughs) Right? You better be in the moment. And so when I enter into the place with God, I'm entering to that place where the moment has value because I'm with God, not because I'm making something happen or because I'm producing something, but I'm having a love relationship. I'm getting to know God. For them, not a single moment has value in itself, but only a means for what follows. You can go study that, meditate on it. The reason to engage in prayer at all should intensify our practice of said prayer. It's about the blessing of the Lord. Not just, not because we can't achieve, not because we can't achieve without prayer. See, that's where we miss it. We go, well, I achieved a lot while you were praying, I got a lot done while you were in there talking to yourself. It's not about it's not just about getting tangible results. It's not about you. You can't achieve without prayer. The mafia gets a lot done without prayer. Atheists who never pray build beautiful things and do great things and write great music and do great art. You can achieve without prayer. People make gazillions of dollars who never pray. No, it's, because you crave, and I crave, the blessing of the Lord. Proverbs ten twenty two: the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Boy, we could get drilled down on that about, yes, yes, there's a lot of achievement out there, but it is, does it bring trouble with it? The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and adds no trouble. The blessing of the Lord is not the tangible results that comes from the blessing, but it's what transpires before anything tangible happens. I said the blessing of the Lord is not the tangible results that comes from the blessing, but it's what transpires before anything visible, tangible happens. See, we're not praying to inform God. We're not praying to impress God. We're praying to invite God into our lives. Set prayer is going on FB Facebook and saying, I'm in a relationship. That's what set prayer is when you go off to that room or that place to have your prayer time, you're telling your family, I'm in a relationship with somebody else. Not just you. I'm in a relationship with God. Let me give you some reasons that I believe set prayer should be a part of your life. Set prayer confirms with finality that you believe in God. Set prayer signals clearly that you are in need of God. So you, you can pray as you go, in which I recommend. But that can be just in you just in case you're up there. Set prayer more difficult, if that's your view. Set prayer confronts the idol of self-sufficiency. God, I can do this by myself. God I don't need you. You know, we all have great capabilities without a, without a realized, without a conscience. I think we're all really connected with God. and I think God is really, I know that. God is, God is really responsible for all accomplishment. He gives, but the Bible says he gives us the power to get wealth. But you can, you can get wealth and you can accomplish, you can build programs, you can even build the church, a local church without a conscience connection to your need of God. In fact, you could do it if you weren't even saved, if you weren't even a follower of Christ, because you have a great and I have some abilities, whoever I'm talking to out there today. So set prayer confronts the idol of self-sufficiency. Set prayer is worship before a word is said. It is worship before you say a word, just because you go and set that time apart, you are, you are telling God, I worship you. Set prayer makes God, this is really important. Families, listen to me, families. Set prayer makes God officially present in your house. Give your kids the legacy of seeing you go and pray. Give your kids that reference. I saw my dad go and pray. I saw my mom go and pray. When we had a crisis, when there was a difficulty, or just on a regular basis, it made such a mark on my life that my parents prayed in my house. It made such a mark on my life. It, it was more transforming than what they did down at the church. Is that when I went home, my parents were going to pray. I'm talking about get down to business praying, friends. I'm talking about praying like some of us have never seen. My dad, I would hear him. We had a junk room, a room where, you know, a catch-all room where we just threw everything that we didn't know what to do with. I would hear my dad regularly back in that junk room crying out to God, asking God to guide and direct our paths, praying for our family. I would hear my mom praying. I, came, I remember coming home from school one day and my mom is laying on the floor crying that my brother would come to Christ. You want to have a Christian home? Nothing can do it better. Nothing is more important than for your family to see that you set aside time for prayer. I'm not going to preach about family altars but I really believe they are important. Okay. Let me talk about, get a little personal here over the next few minutes as I try to bring this to a close. I had many years of, of a sporadic and inconsistent set prayer life. And uh, part of the problem was, uh, I mean, there are many things, just laziness, busyness, and But part of the problem is I had this image that people that the people who prayed a lot, I, I could never be that guy who prayed hours a day. Uh, I would hear stories when I was a kid, preachers would preach about a guy named Praying Hyde who prayed so much that there were big calluses, huge calluses on his knees from praying so much. And I just said, God, I just can't be that guy I. I, who who just prays that much. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just, and I would see these people who were like holy men. And I, I admired them, and I thought, you know, I just never never seemed like a, I could never get in that groove. I would take a stab at it, but then I would get busy or I would get distracted. And, yes, I had times and seasons, don't get me wrong. I had seasons and times when I would pray for hours at a time, days at a, you know three days I'd go away and fast and pray, those kind of things. But I mean on a regular basis having a set time with the Lord, I had a hard time doing it. And and really, uh, I read uh, really running into Bill Hybels because it seemed like when I met Bill and stuff, it seemed like he's oh, a regular guy. And yet he always talks about hearing from God. And he always talks about the whisper of God guiding him in his life and his ministry. And then I read Books which aren't profound books—they're nothing like uh, Eugene Peterson or any or C.S. Lewis or anything like that. Not anything that'll blow you away. And I quit sharing them with people, kind of, because they would go, "Oh, that's not what's what's that? That's nothing." But I want to tell you, they really helped me. Very simple books. One was one was called it's actually called Simplify. That book really gave me a a path that I felt like I could do, and I just want to share that with you today. Um. I remember getting slapped upside the head and rebuked by a guy. Um, some of you know him, Steve Gallagher. When Steve Gallagher talked to me about my prayer life a few years ago, he really rebuked me. Uh, Stephen's strong. He's a strong guy. And he he just really kind of showed me my prayer life, and he wasn't ashamed of it. My prayer life was pathetic for a guy who's trying to lead a church. It was pathetic. and And I and i didn 't disagree with him at all i I, I tried to do it, and if, but a few years went by, and I wish I had taken his advice because some things transpired within that time that i'd know that God was using Steve to try to help me avoid but i didn't i didn 't really commit myself to that daily prayer and I prayed i don 't want to give you the wrong impression but it, but I missed a lot of days I missed a lot of days of going straight from the bed to the shower to the office, and then I read uh, Heibel stuff, and he talked about, he put it in more simple terms for me, and he put it in something that I could handle. I, I, I could I could take my coffee with me, with Heibel's approach, and I like that. I, I'm under the Daniel Fest now, so I'm hating it, but I want a cup of coffee really bad. <laughs> I haven't had a cup of coffee in seven days, so, uh, but he talked about chair time and I thought, well, I can handle that. I don't have to, I don't have to be on my knees for an hour. That hurts. I can sit in a chair. He kind of gave me permission to sit in a chair. And, and he talked about a minimum of 15 minutes a day. Now, I won't. You know I'm. I'm praying more than 15 minutes a day now. But, but, but that's. I needed a place to start, and like some of you do here today. So I, I want to just share that with you. That that's where I started. Uh, I was like, I was like Martha in the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary stopped everything to sit at the feet of Jesus, while Martha ran around over serving her guest. I believe I know she was over serving her guest because Jesus would never want people not to be served. She was over serving her guest. I know she was over-serving because Jesus wouldn't have wanted people to go hungry. I was more like Martha than I could admit, more than even my family realized. And I, I read this scripture one day and I saw myself instead of somebody else. Martha, Martha, Luke ten forty one. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. I said, that's me. I'm worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. I need to get in the presence of God. I'll admit, Steve was a little too intense for me, but when Bill talked about chair time and starting with a minimum of 15 minutes a day, I could start there, so I, I picked a comfortable spot. I took my coffee with me. I, I began to read a portion of Scripture. I began to write out my prayer. I'd never done that before, and that really helped me. Uh, If I didn't do this, I couldn't focus. I would spend a disproportionate amount of time pouring out my complaints instead of having a balanced time of prayer with God. So now I pray about four things. And this is an acronym that I got from Bill, and Bill got it from somebody else. And it's called the ACTS acronym. I want to share it with you today. Some of you could use this. Adoration, number one. After I read some scripture, I adore the Lord. Worship Is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. I said, Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling that is expressed in an act of worship. So I don't have to feel worshipful to go do my worship. The act of worship creates the feeling of worship. It's so critical to emotional health to separate the worship of God for who He is and not praising Him for what He does. This is not time, my adoration time of my prayer, is not time to thank God for things. This is time to focus on who He is. And I write out these words, God, I adore and worship you because... And then whatever comes to my mind is what I fill in the blank with. God, I worship you because you are the God who speaks. God, I worship you because you are the God who patiently waits. God, I worship you because you're the God of new mercies. God, I worship you because you're the God who understands. God, I worship you because you're the God who is sovereign over the earth. God, I worship you because you're the God who loves me. God, I worship you because you're the God who rejoices over me. God, I worship you because you're the God who pursues us. God, I worship you because you're the God who pleasantly surprises us. God, I worship you because you're the God who never panics. These are actual things. I went back to my journal and I pulled them out. These are actual things that I ascribe to God. I don't like to use, I like big words, but I don't like to use big words when I'm trying to describe God. I can say, Oh, you, my father, you omniscient father, omnipresent, omnipotent God. That doesn't mean anything to me. I want to put it down into words that I understand and I want to adore the presence of God. And you would be surprised how this sets you up for the rest of your prayer time when you start with worship. You would be surprised. You'll be surprised how this sets you up because your tendency is to go saying, Oh, God, I need you to stop my kids from driving me crazy. That's what you want to do. That's what your natural inclination is. But if you will first begin to magnify a big God, a big God who loves you and who cares about you, by the time you get to praying about your kids, they might not be such a big deal to you anymore. You might actually love them. (laughs) Right? The second is confession. This is not a popular one in our day. This is not a popular one in our day, but I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. I'm not trying to be culturally relevant. The Bible still teaches confession. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is where I honestly deal with my flaws, my mistakes. Not everything in this category I would even call sin sometimes. What sin pattern, though, or flaw is God illuminating me that warrants confession and change? What relationship needs repair? Where is God inviting me to grow? This is not just lumping all our sins into a pile and saying, Lord, forgive me of my many sins, but it's saying, Lord, I know I was rude and selfish with my wife yesterday. I had a long day and I didn't feel like hearing her tell me anything that sounded like correction. I was selfish. Oh, Lord, I told that person I was talking to that her outer term was packed on Sunday when I know there were a hundred empty seats. God, I want to get accurate and honest with other people. I want to give you a little more Bill Hybels today and I want to tell you about something he said in his book. Many years ago, he said, I had an interesting conversation with a man who regularly attended our church. I'd given a message on our sinfulness and our need for a savior. He came to my office and said, all this talk about sin is making me feel really bad. I, for one, do not consider myself a sinner. I could tell this guy was a guy I could shoot straight with. So I said, well, maybe you are and maybe you aren't. Are you up for a few questions? He chuckled and said, no, he said, are you up for a few questions? And he said, sure. He said, first of all, the first question, have you been 100% faithful to your wife? the entire time of your 25-year marriage. He chuckled and said, well, you know I'm in sales, and I travel a lot. We both knew what he was admitting to. Okay, I said, how about this one? When you fill out your expense account, do you ever add something that wasn't strictly business? Oh, he goes, everybody does that. Or, you know, when you're out there selling your company's product, they'll ask, do you ever exaggerate the benefits? You know, you say it. uh, uh, You say it will do something. It won't, or promise to ship it tomorrow when you know it won't go out until next Tuesday. Hey, the guy says, "I didn't set the industry standards. That's just the way it's done." I looked straight at him and said, "You have told me that you're an adulterer, a cheater, and a liar. Repeat these words after me: I'm an adulterer, a cheater, and a liar." He looked as if his eyes were going to pop out. Hold on a second, he cried. I only said there was a little something on the side, a little this and a little that. No, I said, just tell it like it is. You're a sinner in need of a Savior, and so am I. When you have the courage to call your sins by their true name, several wonderful things will fall into place. Your conscience will get cleansed. I finally said it. You will think I'm finally getting honest with God. I'm not playing games anymore, and it feels good you'll be flooded with relief that God has a forgiving nature. How are we going to find out about God's forgiving nature if we do not confess our sins? The third element of prayer is thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6, 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. This is where prayer gets really enjoyable. And this is where my attitude always starts adjusting. When I start listing all the good things that God is doing in my life, I can never believe how long the list is every day when I start writing out. And I realize how bad and rotten my attitude is and how I'm focusing on the one or two things that aren't going well. There's always 15 or 20 things And they're not things I repeated from yesterday. There's always 15 or 20 things that I thank God that are the way they're going around me and in my life. So you see what's happening here. By the time you get to supplication, which is the next one, you are charged. You are cleansed. You have a big God by now. And you're ready to tackle those three or four or five things Issues that you need God to do something about. And that's the point. Psalms 119, 170 on supplication. Supplication just means, it, it means making request of God. Uh, it, it, it means the action, I believe we've got a, a, a slide for it. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly and humbly. Psalms 119, may my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. Then I write out some things. Sometimes I don't put the names because someone may read it someday. Someone may find my prayer journal someday. So I'm careful about that. I mean, I put a few things that you would go, wow, pastor's having a problem with that. And I leave it with God. I'm challenging you to begin to do this activity 15 minutes a day. I'm challenging you to begin to practice chair time. I'm challenging you. Will it transform your life? It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. I'm not predicting that seven days from now you, everything in your world will be changed. Eugene Peterson, I'm going to close with this, compares set praying to an old-school weed trimmer sharpening his blade. Listen. Look at the mower in the summer's day with so much to cut down ere the sun sets. He pauses in his labor. Is he a sluggard? He looks for his stone and begins to draw it up and down his scythe with a -a rink-a-tink, rink-a-tink, rink-a-tink. Is that idle music? Is he wasting precious moments? How much he might have mowed while he has been ringing out those notes on his scythe. Picture the guy with his blade, his old-fashioned weed whacker. He's stopping, he's stopping productivity. But he is sharpening his tool, Eugene Peterson says, and he will do far more once he gives his strength to those long sweeps which lay the grass prostrate in the rows before him. I'm inviting you to a life that will make you sharper, not duller, better, not worse, more relaxed, not more tense. I believe this is the This is what our culture needs right now. We are so overloaded with information. We're so overloaded with our cell phones and our iPads and our text messages. And information and intellectual, and we're so overloaded with intellectual information. We know more and we're bombarded with more, more uh, pieces of information and more news than any culture in the history of mankind. This is one thing that is different. Never in, in the history of mankind is we've been bombarded by so much information. And I know that God is saying something to us today that the answer is for us to pull away. And go into the presence of God. No culture in history is really, really at their root craving quietness in the presence of God like this one. Like this one. Like you and I today. And it is the answer. If there is to be any unity in culture, it will be prayer that will bring unity, not social media post and argumentation. If anything is going to bring unity in our culture today, it's going to be for people, all kinds of people, to come into the presence of God and say, God, what do you think? How do you feel? What's on your mind? God, we want to know you. Speak to us. Lead us. We don't know what to do, as Jehoshaphat said, but our eyes are on you. Prayer is the greatest opportunity that we have to change our lives. I want our prayer partners to come right now. I want our prayer partners to come right now. And we're going to pray right now for what's troubling you. They're standing here waiting for you to bring your supplication, your petition, and say, pray with me. Listen, God still wants to hear your problems. God still wants to know your pain. He's not turned off by it. He doesn't see it as anti-worship. When, in fact, telling him your problems is also a form of worship. It says, I trust you, I need you. So today I want you to and to get out of your seats in a moment, in a few seconds, and come and be prayed for for whatever is troubling you. Take communion. Right now, have a set time of prayer with God, okay? Let God touch your life. God bless you. I love you. You've been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.